It's a crossover Thursday on the Lock on Giants podcast. We'll be joined by Lock on Panthers host Julian Council. That's coming up next. You are Locked on Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to another edition of the Lachlan Giants podcast, part of the Lachlan podcast family, your team every day. My name is Patricia Trainer. Thank you so much for making the Lachlan Giants podcast your first listen of the day, or if you're watching on YouTube, your first video that you're watching of the day. Really appreciate it. And on today's show, we have a crossover Thursday. Julian Council, the host of the Lachlan Panthers podcast, will be with me coming up in just a bit, and he will break down for us the Carolina Panthers who are coming into MetLife Stadium on Sunday to face the New York Giants. And then as always, I appear on Julian's show. He doesn't have a YouTube channel, but he does have uh, his audio show that you can get wherever you find podcasts. And uh, I break down the Giants for Julian. So I'll put that information for you in the show notes as always. All right, folks, and before we get to the crossover section, which I know a lot of you uh, enjoy and look forward to, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Giants and where they're at right now as a franchise. Now, we can all agree that the franchise is a mess, that it's broken, that, uh, you know, a one in five record is not, you know, what we what any of us expected, certainly after the roster that was put together, the uh, approach that was taken. Now, I'm not saying that the front office isn't responsible for that. They are. So let's make that clear. I I do believe that, you know, if this giant team doesn't turn it around, changes have to be made at the front office level. But I also want to talk a little bit about the coaching level. And, you know, I I just, I don't, I'm not going to say that the coaching is getting a pass from people because I don't think that's completely true, but I don't know if we're talking enough about the coaching. And, uh, you know, every week, Joe Judge, Patrick Graham, Jason Garrett, whoever the case, you know, whoever might be on the podium always talks about how we've got to coach better. We've got to put players in in position, better position. And every week, it's the same thing. You see um, lack of communication, for example, in the defensive secondary. You see guys who are not, you know, who are being asked to do things that aren't a good fit for what they do best. You see, you know, parts of the offense, like, for example, the tight ends not being utilized more in the offensive system. And above all, you know, in the wake of all these injuries that the Giants have, you see guys, you know, backups who aren't ready to step in. And, you know, people will point to all the injuries. And I get that. Injuries suck. It is what it is. All right. But every team's got them. The Baltimore Ravens has them, right? And I put an article up on Giants Country um, yesterday, and uh, it was it was part of the injury report. And I went to Man Games Lost. The Giants have the third most um, injured guys as far as you know players who have appeared on the injury report. I think their number was something like eighty two, and that's the third most behind, I believe, it was uh, Baltimore and Tennessee. And those are two teams, especially the Baltimore Ravens, who are doing pretty well. 
So that got me thinking about the coaching and, you know, how they always talk about, we got to do better. We got to do this. We got to do that. Okay. Words at this point, you look at the backup deck and a good team, I believe at any rate, a good team, you shouldn't see that much of a drop off from starter to backup. Cause there's a reason why guys are starters, obviously. And there's a reason why guys are backup. But if you're on an NFL team, the assumption is you're good enough to be there. And when you see such a far drop off at certain positions, you got to ask yourself, what's going on? So I, I don't have an answer for you. I mean, obviously, you know, we're not allowed to watch the entire practice, so I can't tell you what they're working on for the duration of practice. I can't tell you what's going on in the classroom, how they're being taught, but To me, the most alarming thing about this Giants team so far has been the drop-off in depth. When you have that far of a drop-off in terms of performance, that's a concern. That's just not on the front office for not getting quote-unquote quality talent. That's also got to be on the coaching staff. Now, a lot of you are probably saying, okay, so Pat, you think the Giants are going to make a change in the front office. What about the coaching staff? I don't think that ownership wants to start over. Although if they're going to start over with a new GM, you kind of wonder if maybe there's a benefit to starting over with a new head coach. But that said, you go back to what John Maris said when Joe Judge was hired and how he spoke about wanting to give Joe Judge more than a couple years, be more patient with him than he was with Pat Shermer and Ben McAdoo. Now, Joe Judge, I still don't think he's a horrible coach. I think the guy can turn into a decent coach. But at this, you know, and at this point, you know, I get it. There's only so much he could say to the questions that we in the media put to him about what's wrong, how are you going to fix it, so on and so forth. But at some point, to me, you got to stop talking and just start doing it. And it starts with putting players in better positions. It starts with, you know, just getting these guys that, you know, your assistant coaches to do a better job. And see, here's the concern I kind of have with Joe judge. He's a special teams coach. As we know, that's his background. And I'm not saying he doesn't have an idea about defense or offense. You know, that said, I wonder how much he's involved in that. I mean, I know maybe he just rubber stamps everything, but I wonder at the end of the day, how much is he being involved with the offensive game plan, the defensive game plan? Is he leaning into the headset during the course of games and telling his coordinators, no, I don't agree with this call, try this? You know, how hands-on is he? I get the impression he's not as hands-on as you would think, you know, as if you had like a a head coach who came from the offensive side of the ball, but um, I don't know that. What I do know is this, I just feel like at times, even though they're in their second year, I feel like this coaching staff is still kind of feeling its way around with this roster, which is kind of, I think, disturbing for me, considering that on defense, for example, they basically have all the same guys, minus, you know, obviously Blake Martinez is there. Obviously, um, Adoree Jackson is new, but for the most part, they have the same guys. And I feel like Patrick Graham is kind of feeling his way around how to get these guys to play at an optimal level. Whereas last year it came so much easier to him. 
And on offense, I don't know what to think with Jason Garrett. I really don't. I mean, I don't understand what he's trying to do. I think, you know, initially they probably figured, okay, we've got all these receivers. We can now run 11 personnel, make that our primary offense. Well, now your offense is hurting at receiver. So why not get your tight ends involved and go to a 12 personnel? So I'm not sure what the thought process is there, but again, it goes back to, do they have a good feel for what they have? And, you know, just watching how some of these players are deployed and some of these schemes and some of what these guys are asked to do. I mean, I question that. I really do. I, I, I don't, I don't have a warm and fuzzy feeling that they know their the strengths and weaknesses of their guys. If they did, would they be asking Jabril Peppers, for example, to be in coverage when that's not his strength? Probably not. So yes, the front office bears some responsibility for the state of the giants right now. I'm not disputing that, but the coaching staff is just as guilty. Now at the end of the year, like I said, if this team goes into the trash bin with its season, would ownership sweep everybody out? I don't think they will. Should they? I think that warrants some consideration. But um, all I know, this is not what anybody signed up for. And I know this Sunday, the Giants have an opportunity against the Carolina Panthers team, a game that is winnable for them. If they get their act together. I need a reason to believe in this team again. You know, it's that simple. I mean, I'm not picking the Giants, you know, spoiler alert. I am not picking the Giants when I do my my final wrap-up and predictions for uh, Giants country because I need a reason to believe and they haven't given me one. But I'll tell you this much. A win would go a long way on Sunday because then the Giants' next play in Kansas City on a Monday night. So they have a little extra time to kind of build off that momentum. And if they could get this win this weekend, great. If they can't, then it's over guys. It's over. I hate to say it. Um, I'll still be here. I'll still be doing shows and I'll still be writing stuff, but uh, we're looking at potentially another season that ends by Halloween. And that's just, it's depressing. So, but I'll be here. Like I said, offering these therapeutic sessions and answering your questions and doing all the things that I normally do. So hope you'll still tune in, even if the season does come to a crashing halt. So, all right, folks, coming up next, Julian Council of Lockdown Panthers joins me for the crossover section of the program. Some great stuff from Julian. I hope you will enjoy it. That's coming up next. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up on today's show. But first, no matter what you need for your car or truck, Rock Auto is sure to have it in its extensive online catalog. RockAuto.com offers brand name parts for every make, model, and manufacturer at highly competitive prices, and they ship right to your door. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you in their How Did You Hear About Us box RockAuto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts. Your car or truck will ever need rockauto.com. And welcome in, Giant fans, to the crossover section of the Lock on Giants podcast. It is Giants versus Carolina Panthers. It is week seven. Game will be at MetLife Stadium this Sunday, 
one o'clock kickoff. And here to help me break down the Carolina Panthers, that handsome young man on the other side of me is Julian Council. He is the host of the Locked On Panthers podcast. Julian, thank you so much for the time as always. Oh, Patricia, you're going to make me blush. Glad to be here. Glad it's week seven and excited to see what happens on Sunday in a game where I think both these teams obviously need to win. Your Giants, especially at one and five, the Carolina Panthers, who started off hot at three and oh, have now dropped three straight heading back up to New York. So they definitely need to win on Sunday. So excited to break down the matchup. Definitely. And you know what, Julian, let's start there with the fact that the Panthers have lost three in a row. Now, I know how the Giants are kind of handling things internally um, and also on the outside with regards to their misfortunes. But how is Carolina handling things? What is the mood in that locker room and and, uh, what are they saying about, you know, where they're at right now? The vibes aren't good right now, Patricia. The vibes are not good. Well, they're not panicking just yet. Three and three. That's fine. They're a middling team in a national football league. That's what we found out so far. The first three weeks of the season, there's a ton of questions of how good were the Panthers actually because their defense was phenomenal. But look at who they played. The Jets, rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson. We've seen how he's played so far this season. Not great. Week two, the Saints, I think they can be a good team. I'm not quite sure how I feel about them. I know the Giants are lone when the season was in New Orleans at the Superdome and the Saints returned there after being displaced by Hurricane Ida. But still, I think there's the jury's out on that team. But you got Jameis Winston on a bad day. They had seven coaches not available because of COVID. And you also had injuries, Marshawn Lattimore, CJ Gardner-Johnson, and not to mention their kicker, Will Lutz, and Michael Thomas, who's currently on the pup list still. So not too much you can take away from that. And you play the Houston Texans with the rookie quarterback and Davis Mills. Everybody was feeling good. Then the schedule got a little bit harder. You lost the Dallas Cowboys, lost an inexplicable game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And on Sunday, an evenly matched team, a game against the Minnesota Vikings. The Panthers don't come out on top. So on Monday, Matt Rule looks at his offense. That's just in desperate search for an identity and says, we need to commit ourselves to running the football. Christian McCaffrey not being available the last couple of weeks has certainly changed up their game plan and what they want to do in terms of running the ball, and especially with their receiver out of the backfield. The only receiver who's done anything so far this season for the Carolina Panthers has been DJ Moore. In the last two weeks, teams have either double-teamed him or shaded to his side, which has dropped his production. Robbie Anderson's provided nothing so far. And Matt Rule had said, in a passing game, we can't be throwing it 40 times a game unless you're an elite passing team, which we are not. We need to run the football. We need to have some balance. So that's what the Carolina Panthers are planning on doing moving forward, at least on offense, where the defense is still a good unit. They got to be able to play some complimentary football moving forward and be better also on special teams. So that's kind of what they're saying around here after losing three straight games. Wow. And we thought we had it bad here in New York. <laughs> Julian, let me ask you about Sam Darnold, of course, the former Jet quarterback sure. who's traded down to uh, Carolina. And it looked like he was starting to find new life and become the guy that everybody thought initially he could become when he was coming out of college. What has he shown of late, and are you convinced that he can become that guy? Uh, no, absolutely not. I'm not convinced. Uh, I haven't been convinced since April. When I took over the podcast here in Locked on Panthers, the, one of the first episodes I did was saying why it did not make sense to bring Sam Donald here to Carolina, and I felt the same way when he decided to ship away a second-round pick in next year's draft and a fourth and a sixth in last year's draft to get Sam Darnold. Now, they recouped the fourth-round pick when they traded with Houston, and they recouped the sixth-round pick when they traded Teddy Bridgewater, the quarterback for year one of Matt Rule, to Denver. So right now, it's only a second-round pick they've given up for Sam Darnold. But looking at this team, the needs that they have, that's a very valuable pick that they're not having. For Sam Darnold coming to Carolina, he needed to be an obvious upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. 
And over the last three weeks, as the Carolina Panthers have lost three straight all games without Christian McCaffrey, he has at times looked lost, overwhelmed. It has not done the things that he needs to do to prove that he should be here long term. The thing about what Sam Darnold is, fine, he looked good for the first three weeks of the season. So did Teddy Bridgewater. So it's not like he did anything differently than Teddy did. The one thing that he's done more of that Teddy didn't do really in Carolina was turn the football over. Seven turnovers over the last couple of weeks, six interceptions, one fumble. And that's been the bugaboo with him dating back to his time in New York. And prior to that, back when he was at USC at Southern California. So he has not fixed that. And the fact that the coach is saying after six weeks of the season that we need to rededicate ourselves to the run game is an indictment on the quarterback and his ability to carry the team when you don't have your all pro running back, Chris McCaffrey. So through six weeks, no, I am definitely not sold on Sam Darnold. And I imagine David Tepper, the owner here in Carolina, who was desperate for a quarterback, a franchise quarterback who can bring a Lombardi trophy to Carolina, is feeling the exact same way as me. And he's probably ready to move on right now. Bet you they're regretting that they didn't draft one when they had a chance. Now, you mentioned that uh, Coach Matt Rule was looking to maybe go back to running the ball. So yes. I would imagine they'll probably show a lot of 12 personnel. That said, yes. What can you tell us about the tight end group? Because I, I think you're off, the Panthers' offensive line is, uh, how can I put this nicely? Uh, not world beaters. You know, I'm not going to say they're horrible, but you know, they're not world beaters. Nobody's going to mistake them for the, you know, the best offensive line in the NFL. So the tight ends, I think, are going to be. <laughs> you're agreeing with no, me. The tight they're not are good. Pro- they're terrible. <laughs> okay, you said it. I didn't. Um, so the tight ends, I imagine, are going to be very instrumental. A lot of twelve personnel. What can you tell us about that group? Listen, Patricia, I'm not here to disparage anybody. These are all grown men. They can take the criticism. The offensive line outside of Taylor Vote and the right tackle who just received a large payment of a four-year, seventy-two million dollar extension prior to the season. They're uh, they leave a lot to be desired. They're not a very good unit outside of him. But in terms of tight ends, it's an interesting group there. Ian Thomas is here in his fourth year in Carolina. He's a converted tight end. He played basketball growing up, going to Indiana. Was only a tight end for two years before getting drafted by the Panthers. So he's still learning the position. And coming into the season, there were some questions of whether he would make the roster as the Panthers had signed Dan Arnold in free agency, who's now in Jacksonville. They traded him away to receive CJ. Henderson to be a corner of the future and help that secondary out while JC Horn is out. And then of course, in seasons upcoming. So Ian Thomas has actually shown a lot so far in terms of just pass blocking. That was one of the things and run blocking as well. That was something that people really were, weren't quite sure of with him going to the season in his last couple of years, had a big fourth down catch on Sunday that extended that game when Sam Darnold was able to take that team 96 yards down the field to tie the game into the overtime against the Vikings. But he's not really going to give you that much pass catching wise. Tommy Trimble's a guy that they really like at Notre Dame, third round draft pick. In part, they were comfortable enough to part ways with Dan Arnold, a guy they really liked because of the athleticism and what Tommy, Tommy Trimble provides, not just as a run blocker, but also in the future as a pass catcher. Also have Colin Thompson who can fill in there, a former Baylor or Temple guy who played for Matt Rule back in college. He's someone who can help them out also in the pass game and really as run blocker. But primarily, these are three run blocking tight ends. And now that they're dedicated to running the football, they should all get an opportunity to really get down the field and knock some guys on their tail. All right. Now, I want to quick talk about the defense and then I want to save the matchups for the next segment. So let's talk a little bit about the Panthers defense. Derek sure. Brown. You're, uh, I would imagine, you know, based on what he's done, let's, I think he has eight pressures, a sack. Um, big time cog in Phil Snow's defense. 
Um, what can you tell us about him and the type of player he is and what kind of uh, role has he played along that defensive line? Has he primarily been a three tech, a five tech? Has he done everything? What, what's he do? Uh, I see that Dave Gettleman's rubbed off on you, the hog molly. Uh, <laughs> we know all about that here in Carolina. Yeah, he's been pretty good so far this season. He's not much of a three technique. That was one of the things that had a lot of people questioning the draft choice back in 2020 in terms of him going that high because he's not going to be a pass rushing defensive tackle in the interior, but he's been really good against the run this year. And I think having Daquan Jones who came up from free agency from Tennessee, who played on a couple Titans teams that went obviously to the AFC title game and went to the playoffs last year, won a division in the AFC South that's helped him not having Kawan short last year, who was spectacular for a lot of years in Carolina, put a lot of pressure on Derek Brown to go out there and to be in the middle of that defense, especially defense that didn't really have a ton of options at defensive tackle. Now with him, Daquan Jones, you also have second-year player Bravion Roy. That has given Derek Brown an opportunity to just be free and not to have all that pressure. So he's been really good so far against the run and has been disruptive at times as well, trying to get after the passer. Let's talk about the linebackers, and I include the outside linebackers as well as the guys in the middle here. Looks like a pretty solid group here you have. Um, you've got Eder Gross-Matos. You've got Morgan Fox. Uh, Brian Burns is a guy who's very intriguing. I'm worried about that matchup, which we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, Tell me about this group. I mean, is this probably the strength of this team right now? Absolutely. At least it was early on in the season. Last two weeks, though, they have not really last three weeks have not gotten after the passer at all. Didn't sack Dak Prescott did not sack Kirk cousins, which is surprising. And then I don't think they got after Jalen hurts really at all a couple of weeks ago in the loss to Philadelphia. And that kind of shows you why the Carolina Panthers have not been able to win the last couple of weeks because early on in the season, when they were getting after the passer wreaking havoc, that was helping them win those games. The defense overall has been dominant, but especially that is probably the strength of the defense. Like you asked and you point out there, Brian Burns, it starts there with him. Three sacks on the season has been shut out the last couple of weeks. Looking at the state of the offensive line there on the Giants, this might be a good bounce back game for him. Also, Hassan Reddick, who was fantastic last year in Arizona. There are questions of, huh, contract year. Is that real? Well, it's been real so far. Six and a half sacks so far this season has looked really good. Looks like a future Pro Bowl guy. You bring up Gross Matos, second round pick out of Penn State last year. Had some injuries. He's been solid in the run game. Hasn't necessarily factored too much in the pass rushing game. One guy I'll tell you about, though, who I think is going to get a little bit more opportunities moving forward is Frankie Louvu. Came over in free agency from New York. The Jets, this, that New York. And he's actually been pretty good. Had a black kick on Sunday in the loss against Minnesota that led to a touchdown on that black punt. He was also very instrumental throughout the game with five tackles. And in the preseason, showed you more than I think a lot of people were expecting in terms of being a, a potential edge rusher. So him, Marquise Haynes, Gross Matos are all depth guys behind Burns and behind Hassan Reddick who can add some pressure and likely get after Daniel Jones and make his day not very fun on Sunday. Now in the back, the, de- the back end of the defense, um, Dante Jackson, you've got Jeremy Chin, um, who's a very versatile safety. You might have Stephon Gilmore coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the status with him? And tell me about that defensive backfield. I mean, they, they look like they've got some playmakers back there. Yeah, Gilmore might play on Sunday. It depends on what he looks like on practice this week. Matt Rule talked to the media on Monday, and he said the plan, yes, is for him to play on Sunday, but he has to see where he at, is at. He's coming off of that injury. Didn't play much last season. Hasn't practiced at all. You really don't know where he's physically. But if he comes in, I don't expect him to play 
more than maybe 30% of the snaps on Sunday in that game, but that will definitely help the team moving forward. Dante Jackson has been fantastic so far this season. A guy who was drafted by Dave Gettleman in the second round out of LSU a couple years ago. He looks like someone who's going to be – actually, was he drafted by Dave Gettleman? I can't remember whether he was or not. Either way, Dante Jackson has had a great season so far this season. He is a guy who's in his fourth year, ready to get paid, and he certainly is earning that money. A.J. Bouye, who's played so – who's come over from free agency – um, has looked really good for them as well. There's a lot of depth in that cornerback in that secondary room. Jeremy Chin was fantastic last year playing linebacker, now more of his natural position at safety. The secondary is one of the strengths of this team for the Carolina Panthers. You have a great pass rush, and you have a lot of talent and speed out there in the secondary. Carolina looks really good defensively, and that unit is also probably the most improved unit that we've seen over the last year, as last year. They could not get off the field, which is one of the reasons why they drafted J.C. Horn, who's currently on IR and possibly done for the season there with the eighth overall pick. They have remade that cornerback room, and Scott Fitter has done a fantastic job being able to do that. All right, Giant fans, we have more coming up for you today on the Locked on Giants podcast. But first, get all the latest news, odds, info, and sign-up bonuses for all your sporting needs by heading over to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device. When you open an account and use our special promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. Again, that's code LOCKEDON for your 50% welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, you're on the Locked On Giants podcast. It's a crossover Thursday. Julian Council, host of Locked On Panthers, is with me. Julian, let's talk about some of the key matchups. This this is my list of key matchups. You can tell me if you agree or disagree. We'll talk about a, a few of these. First one that jumps off the page for me is the Carolina running game versus the New York Giants run defense. Now, again, no Christian McCaffrey, yeah. but the Giants run defense has struggled for whatever the reason. I think part of the problem, a big part of the problem has been setting the edges. That said, when you look at the matchup there, do you anticipate that Carolina will exploit those edges? Do you think they'll try and run up the gut, maybe mix it up a little bit? How do you think they might attack the Giants run defense? The Carolina Panthers are going to run the ball on first down, second down, third down, and fourth down if they have to. Chuba Hubbard, the fourth-round pick out of Oklahoma State, who led college football in rushing a couple seasons ago. Funny story about him was, during the draft, Matt Rule's wife, back when they were at Baylor, she remembers watching Chuba Hubbard run all over them. She called Matt Rule and told him, you need to draft this guy. So they now have him on the roster for the exact reason why he's here, because Matt Rule's wife told him to draft him, also because Chris McCaffrey's not available. They like what they have in Chuba Hubbard. He showed a couple weeks He's going to filled out the Eagles that he's capable of running the ball 24 plus times a game and getting over 100 yards, which he did against Philly. Didn't have that much success on Sunday against the Vikings, but also Carolina didn't run it as much as I think Matt Rule wants to see them moving forward. The offensive line has not been great in Carolina over the last couple of seasons, but one thing that has not been an issue is running the football. It's usually been an issue in pass protection. So I expect a lot of Chuba Hubbard on Sunday, and I expect the Carolina Panthers to have a lot of success against the Giants front that struggled to stop the run so far this season. Indeed. Now, another matchup that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies, if you will, Brian uh, Brian Burns versus Nate Solder. Nate Solder, um, I think, is probably – now, Brian Burns plays on the right side of the defense. Is that correct? Or is he on I think the left side? Usually, I think he's usually on the left side. I guess he, yeah, he's so usually he, okay. going up All against right. So the right a, tackle. Okay, so that so that said, all right. So with with Andrew Thomas now going on uh, on IR, Nate Solder, I think is going to move to the left tackle spot, which means Matt Parrott 
is going to draw Brian Burns. That matchup, yeah. well, either, either one, and regardless of who's at right tackle, that would that would scare me. But but Matt Parrott against Brian Burns. Let's talk about that one. What does Burns do? What's what's his signature move that makes him so successful and able to penetrate into the backfield? Speed and a spin move. Like this guy is just fantastic coming off the edge. Now, the thing is, because he's so fast, oftentimes he runs past the quarterback and might go for the strip sack more often than going for the actual sack. That was something that happened on Sunday in the loss of Minnesota in that final drive prior to overtime when the Vikings were set up in field position. He had Kirk Cousins sacked. Used his speed, had him right there, and then Cousins was able to get away because he went for the strip sack. But Brian Burns, the speed that he has, physicality, and the spin move, that's something that's devastating to any right tackle or left tackle on the Giants or anyone in the National Football League. I expect him to have a big day, and I expect also Hassan Reddick, whoever's lined up there on either Solder or um, yeah, the right tackle for the Giants, they're going to have problems, I think, on Sunday trying to keep either one of those guys, but specifically Burns in this instance out of the backfield. Do the Panthers do a lot of stunting? And I ask because the Giants' interior offensive line has had some problems with stunting. No. Not really, but Phil Snow, he does get creative. He likes to send a safety blitz. He hasn't really sent a lot of those in the A-gap over the last couple of weeks just based off of the injuries that they've had in the secondary. That's typically kind of what he likes to do, but not a lot of stunts for those defensive tackles. Okay, and then um, the slot receiver. I think your slot receiver is Terrence Marshall, I believe. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, Terrence Marshall. Terrence Marshall. Okay, so he's going up against... I don't know who the slot, the slot corners back is going to be for the Giants. Xavier McKinney, is it going to be uh, Darnay Holmes? I mean, bottom line, what, what kind of nightmare, what kind of matchup nightmare is Terrace Marshall against a slot receiver? You know, I, I think he's what, how tall is he? Six something? Six, four runs yeah. a four, four. Like he's yeah. got the size and the speed. That's what I'm worried he, about. He's a dream. He looks like he came out of a lab. Now, the problem with Terrace Marshall is I'm not sure he's going to play on Sunday. Suffered a concussion on Sunday after getting absolutely walloped over the middle. It led to a 15-yard penalty um, for unnecessary roughness there by the Vikings. So he's in concussion protocol. So he might not play. Brandon Zilstra is a special teams ace of the Carolina Panthers and also can play in the slot. He went on IR on Tuesday and they're possibly missing punt returner and another guy who can play in the slot and Alex Erickson, who also suffered a concussion on Sunday. So the Carolina Panthers are very thin at wide receiver heading into that matchup. If anything, it's going to be Shai Smith, the rookie out of South Carolina, who received his first jersey of the year on Sunday when he was active. He would be the person that likely would be playing at the slot. And if he's out there that night, that's probably not going to be an advantage anybody, but it might be more advantage Giants just based off of the lack of experience he has. But if Terrace Marshall does play, he really has not been much a part of the passing game so far this season and then hearing what they want to do moving forward. I can't imagine him even having a big role at all as Carolina Panthers has struggled to get anyone other than DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey who's on the field, the football in the passing game. Hey, keep the faith. I mean, Daniel Jones came back from a nasty-looking concussion, so, I mean, anything can happen, yeah. right? I All guess right. case by case. Yeah, exactly. All right, Julian, final question to, for you. What's the X factor in this game, do you think, for both teams? And what's your prediction? The X factor of the Carolina Panthers is taking care of the football really if you can call the next factor at all like it's take that's the bit in the problem the last couple of weeks and which i think is why they want to take the ball to sam darnold's hand because that's when they've turned the ball over when they go in the passing game whether it's been donald throwing an interception or dj moore losing a fumble on sunday or it's been the offensive line giving a sack and then darnold then fumbling 
taking care of the football, that is what's going to decide whether the Carolina Panthers can win the game or not on Sunday. And not having to throw the ball as much and not wanting to do that is likely what's going to help them. I do believe that they'll win on Sunday. I just looking at the injuries that the Giants have suffered, who may or may not be available, but particularly on the offensive line, how dominant this defense has been, and that Daniel Jones is a quarterback, much like Sam Darnold, who's prone to turning the football over. I don't see Carolina losing to a Giants team that is probably on their way to finding a new general manager, if not also a new head coach here in this offseason, a new head coaching cycle come January. Yeah, and you guys know all about Dave Gettleman, obviously. Uh, not working out so far up here in New York. We, ha- we had hopes, but, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, Julian, great stuff. Appreciate you, as always, folks. Again, he is Julian Council. He is the host of the Locked on Panthers podcast, so check him out. And don't forget to check out the Locked on Panthers podcast. I will be on Julian's show. He's not on YouTube, but he is available wherever you can find podcasts. I will be on his show for Crossover Thursday, Talking Giants. So before we say goodbye, thank you so much for making the Locked on Giants podcast your first listen of the day. And we will be back tomorrow with an all new show. I'll have an interview for you as well as all the latest from the New York Giants week that was. So until tomorrow, Giant fans, thank you for listening and we'll talk soon.